What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at TalkLouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, TalkLouderPodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. Before you start talking about our guest today, I want to talk about the epic fucking weekend that was happening in Texas. We had... Uh, Bay Area Strikes Back come through, which I saw photos of you and Dash hanging out with Dave Lombardo. I know that show was incredible at Emo's here in Austin. Yes. Um, Hell's Heroes in Houston was happening all weekend. Started as early as like Thursday night, I think, with anyone and everyone in underground from Dark Angel to Candle Mass to the new version of Riot, blah, 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 blah. My band Igniter was in San Antonio supporting Riot on Friday before they played Hell's Heroes on Saturday. Um, I had to miss Hell's Heroes because of, of, you know, Texas Metal Legion was, South Texas Legion was down there playing, and I had to bow out because I was opening for Riot in San Antonio the same day, blah, blah, blah. It was just crazy, crazy weekend. Tell me about your, I think feel like I'm missing something. You went to Barry Strikes Back. Wasn't there another show that you went to this weekend? Uh, no. Okay. I think that was it. Uh, Bay Area, it was called Bay Strikes Back Tour. It was Testament Mm -hmm. Exodus and Death Angel at Emo's here in Austin. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. There was a lot of metal going on in Texas over the past three or four days. Every city had some major. I want to say Texas was kind of winning the heavy metal heap this past weekend here. Yeah, uh, Yeah, for sure. As we look at the last week of April. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, you just couldn't be everywhere at once. And there there was a lot of good stuff all going on. Uh, I stayed home here in Austin and took my son to see Testament Exodus. And, uh, and that Death was Angel. Thursday, right? Uh, yes, correct. Thursday, that was Thursday. Right. Right. It was. Um, had a great time. I got to give a shout to Felix Griffin. Uh, Felix was... Uh, Who we course, fucking need to get on this podcast. Yeah. Just his Felix. story is incredible. Felix, of course, the drummer uh, for DRI for a number of years and uh, lives here in the area. Um, he was kind of my running buddy that day, uh, the night of the gig. And uh, he was doing his darndest to get us to uh, in front of Dave Lombardo. And finally, he had to go home because he had to be at work at 6 a.m. or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so me and Dash just kind of stayed on our own and lingered. And uh, eventually we got the prize. We did get to meet nice. Dave Lombardo. Uh, Dash got his South of Heaven, or rather his Rain and Blood vinyl yes. signed. Yeah. Uh, I got my Seasons in the Abyss. Dave came off the bus and there was about 15 people there. And he said, all right, folks, uh, just one item, please. And I wanted to respect that. So I'm having this agonizing decision, which one of my albums am I going to get signed? You know, Dash had Show No Mercy and uh, Rain and Blood. So that was kind of a no brainer. He wanted mm-hmm. them both. And I mean, didn't we all? Right. But uh, I had South of Heaven. Uh, Hello Waits and Seasons in the Abyss. And I got to say, out of those three, I'm probably partial to Seasons in the Abyss. So I had him sign that one. Wow. That's a great story. Let me ask you this. When he came off the bus, did he have any kind of handler or was it him say, actually saying, just one because I got to go? It was just him. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing he because it's kind of a household name. I mean, to 15 people, which is, that's not bad. You know what I mean? And if it would have been, he would, he couldn't have, if it would have would have been 30, 
that's some bit yeah. of a mob scene and you probably wouldn't have even tried to approach. Right. That, I could tell uh, that we saw him leave the building and get on the bus. And then this girl came along with a catered meal and she went on the bus and came back off the bus. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, dang, they're going to eat dinner before they come out and see mm -hmm. us. So we had to wait for a little while. Yeah. Uh, and eventually Chuck Billy and Eric Peterson came out nice. first. And then a little while later, uh, Dave finally came out and, uh, and he was great. I mean, he signed the he signed awesome. the albums, took the photos. I got to give a shout to Gary Holt, man. That guy, he was he was awesome. My wife dropped us off in the parking lot, and me and Dash were out of the car. I don't think we were in the parking lot two minutes, and he had all his Exodus stuff signed. Wow. <laughs> and it's because we were we saw the uh, Lee, the other guitarist for Exodus, was pacing up and down the length of the tour bus, and he was on a cell phone. Right. And we recognize that's, him. By the way, on, on the road, that's called directing traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was. Where's so-and-so? Oh, he's directing traffic. That means you're on the phone, you know, kind of like doing biz on your phone out in the parking lot. He was just pacing back and forth. And I told Dash, you know, let's be let's be cool. Let him finish the phone call. So we're standing outside the bus uh, while this while Lee is on the phone and the bus door opens up and it's a road guy, you know, some crew guy. And he goes, hey, man, does your kid want those albums signed? And we were like, yeah. And we looked up the staircase of the bus and there's Gary at the top of the staircase. He goes, what's up, dude? You want those records signed? And uh, Dash was like, yeah, yeah. And we handed him Bonded by Blood and we said, only you and Tom on this one, please. <laughs> and, and Gary passed it on to the bus and he goes, only Tom on this one. They're very specific guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was really chuckle. He was yeah. super cool. And then, of course, we had Persona Non Grata, the latest album, which they're all on. So they all signed that one. Yeah. And then um, afterwards, it, during the show, I saw the crew guy again and I said, hey, man, really wanted to thank you. That was really cool of you to come off the bus. And he says, it was all Gary, dude. Gary was looking out the window and he saw your kid out there with those records. And he goes, ask that kid if he wants his record signed. And I just thought that was really cool. That's a guy who remembers being. Gotta you love know, it. A fan himself. So yeah, Gary, Gary is real. Props to you, Gary. Yes. Love Gary Holt. Never yeah. met the man, but love Gary Holt. He now, was a sweetheart. Now this, uh, that's what a crazy bang up heavy metal weekend we've all had here, uh, in Texas. So, yeah. uh, everyone go see Bass Strikes Back tour. Awesome. Uh, if you were at Hell's Heroes in Houston all weekend, it, they're probably wrapping that up today bless you just yeah. bless your dark black heart <laughs> bless you now we've got a great episode tell us about it today dave yeah we've got paul unger is our guest today and paul is i like to call him like a foot soldier of rock and roll he's yes. one of these guys that's just a passionate fan and has turned all that passion into um he, he's done a lot of promoting and flyering and shouting from the rooftops. He's one of those guys that got bit hard by the rock and roll bug when he was younger and has done everything in his power to support and champion the bands that he loves. And uh, that passion has taken him, you know, to some pretty crazy places and, and, uh, and has uh, resulted in some pretty cool stories that he shares with us today. Uh, but, you know, we've had guys like, Paul on the podcast before they're kind of these behind the scenes players that sort of make the whole thing run you know they're they're not the household names they don't have albums in the record store but without them uh the machine doesn't run as smoothly as it does so uh 
Paul's going to share some of his stories with us today about his passion for rock and roll. I'm really happy that we that we got someone that I call a friend who I only met because I noticed that he was rabid, you know, yes. about <laughs> uh, about talking about rock and roll, about expressing his emotional feelings about it, and whatever he was willing to drink the punch to help you spread the word of your band and uh, and really connect with other people like him. And uh, I, I've been calling him the one-man street team before there was such a thing called a street team. Yeah. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet my friend Paul Unger on the Talk Louder podcast. You're the kind of guy, Paul Unger is the kind of rock fan, super fan, that would roll down the windows of his car and drive a thousand miles yelling at the top of his lungs to tell someone about a band or an artist that he loves and enjoys to the maximum, even if it killed him and he went broke doing it. <laughs> he, would drive, he would drive across the states and into the ocean and into Canada and scream at the top of his lungs how how great a band uh, here's a band that do you like rock and roll here's a band for you he ironically i have done that i i, I don't doubt <laughs> it that's why i'm throwing this out there so <clears throat> you know in that in in many many less words than that uh, off off when we weren't recording that's what i told paul as the reason we're talking to you today paul yeah no, i appreciate that super fan yep Hey, Dave, yeah. turn up your microphone or get closer to it or yeah. something. Yeah, that's better. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we we love people like Paul. We've had a few people on the show who uh, aren't necessarily household names, but I've said it before and I'll say it again today with Paul here. Uh, it's people like that that are sort of the foot soldiers that sort of make the whole thing role you know you, you've got a lot of behind the scenes people that make the bands happen and you got a lot of fans that uh promote the bands by word of mouth or with a website or with a fan club or a street team or whatever um or just by you know constantly talking out, out in the scene in the city in which they live and generating ex excitement you know and uh those people always have great stories and they they often don't have a platform by which to share them. So we love having guys like Paul to kind of give us a little bit of a, share your enthusiasm with us, if you mm -hmm. will. So we're going to let Paul eventually talk, but until we let him just a pretty face, <laughs> until we let him talk, yeah. I wanted to say I've called Paul the one man street team before mm -hmm. there was such a thing in my world i had never heard of a street team but i had heard of paul unger before um tell us about let's start right there paul it's you're almost ready to speak i promise we're gonna let you talk tell us about what is noisy fans of america S explain in depth why what where when you got that going well no comment okay see you later <laughs> dave, nice episode dave, dave as a metal journalist when when was uh do you remember the first time or any time that you had a major disaster when you went to go do an interview with a big rock star and something disastrous happened either 
your batteries went dead or in your recorder bit the dust or you had all kinds of questions prepared and the person didn't want to answer the answer the question how many times did that happen um it's probably happened uh, it's happened i'll say that i can't recall how many times but the classic one and it certainly probably isn't the first but i remember doing a phone interview with ronnie james dio and I got too close to the recorder with my phone and this squall of feedback went over the line and blasted him right in the ears. And we had barely said hello. We were just getting started. Right. And I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And he said, in classic Ronnie James Dio, I'll never forget it. He said, it's OK, Dave. I've heard feedback before. <laughs> <laughs> but I was well, mortified. I was well, mortified. Let me, let me tell you the story about my first uh, disaster. So um, hold I, on, put, hold on. I, I want to hear about I want to hear about your disaster. But real quick, then, what is Noisy Fans of America? Just so because it's going to come up again. Um, noisy Fans of America um, started as a fan club for. I've always been noisy. I've always been a fan, and I always sort of loved that name. But when I started running a fan club for the band Noisy Mama. It right. just seemed appropriate to make it a legitimate business, so to speak. Right. And, uh, but back to my my yeah. uh, my disaster, disaster story. Right. So I started this music magazine. In the first couple of issues, I just wanted to focus on new music, uh, signed and unsigned bands. Then I decided, okay, I want to start doing an interview. I uh, start interviewing bands and stuff. And the first one, I figured, well, Dangerous Toys is coming to town. And I was like, okay, I'm really excited. Um, I don't know how to, I, I mean, I think I did know how to get a hold of you, but I was like, well, uh, we'll just show, me and Crazy Dan, we'll just show up early at the show and uh, catch you at Soundcheck and offer to buy you lunch. And we'll, uh, so you agreed. You said, let's go to Hooters. We went to Hooters, ordered some wings. And I had all these questions prepared. And the first question I asked you, you said, uh, I said, I asked you a question. You said, no comment. Next question, please. I got all flustered. Now look at my, my recorder and it's not working. And so I had to spend the whole interview trying to handwrite your answers. And it was a massive disaster. So I was like all excited when the first question you asked me, I was going to say, no comment. Next question, please. Well, the, so the first, I remember the, that the first, so the first answer to your first question was easy for you to write. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you're you're welcome. It, it, it didn't make much of a good read, though. Not, <laughs> no. Not really. It, it wasn't because all the questions were all like in an order, and so you screwed the first one up and took me about halfway through, and then I was all flustered you, because I. Do you remember what the question was? I'll answer oh, yeah. it right now. Thirty-five years later, what is it? <laughs> why? Why uh, Danny Aaron didn't leave? Why did he leave the band? Why did he Danny said, Aaron leave the band? Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you know by now why he left the band? Yes, of course I do. You do. Yeah, of course you do. Our listeners he, might not. So he was, you un he was uncomfortable. He was. Uh, he was going. I'm not going to say it's because of religion. I'm not going to say it's because he had a new lady in his life, but he was being. Uh, he needed. He needed a break from. He didn't feel comfortable uh, being in a band that was. The, where lyrically we were talking about the things we were talking about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, <clears throat> I think that he's come to his senses then and realized that it's all 
in just in the grandiose scheme, tongue in cheek and fun. But I think that where he was at the time, it was a little weird for him. Right. Uh, and I think he needed a break. Well, there you go. He, There's your you answer. Need some time to write that down. <laughs> no, I got it recorded. <laughs> that's an. That's an. Oh, you're recording this as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So so is well, that me and your... Dave better be on our best behavior then if you're recording this because <laughs> we can edit our shit out. I don't know what yeah. you're going to leave in. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so you started this noisy. What, what what was the name? Noisy fans of America. Or... Mm-hmm. Yes. So it was ba- essentially a, a a fan club for fans kind of thing, or, or a, a band it's, called it's, Noisy it was a Mama. Band. Mm-hmm. Noisy okay. Mama is a band, and he started a fanzine for that. And okay. here you go. Who does that? Well, someone like Paul does that, who believes in something and, and actually probably turned that whole thing into a, a very small empire of a way for fans to connect, and not just well, and not just Noisy Mama fans. Well, originally, um, Noisy Mama was a band called White Noise back in the early middle '80s. And then they got signed by Atco Records and um, East West. And um, I begged them, begged them, I'd do anything to help you guys. Oh, we're big rock stars. We don't need your help and stuff. So their album went out. They went on tour. We actually got to see them in Houston. And um, then, uh, you know, I, I moved back to Ohio and I went to one of their shows. It was a New Year's Eve show in Cleveland. And um, I told them, I said, hey, you know what? I'm starting to collect a pretty big portfolio of, you know, some pretty good bands that um, I've been working for. And they said, let's have a meeting. And then I started, I started working for them. And of course they got dropped. And then there was, you know, they went through a bunch of changes, but they they were one of the first few bands that I ever worked for where I actually gained a lot of contacts that were people like Ann Layton and you know some really really important big people that I that I looked up for, to, and uh, and so that like I had worked for several other bands and I got a lot of respect from other bands, but but they were the first ones that I really really gained started my network as of friends that you know were very helpful throughout the years, and even to today. Probably yeah. your your list of contacts uh, is similar to a list that Dave probably has. Probably. Yeah, and yeah. you actually mentioned a name that uh, Ann Layton was. Uh, I'm forever indebted to her. She's one of the first uh, journalists who publicly acknowledged me and, and championed me and, and mentioned me in an interview that she did as, as a rising upcoming star yeah. in the metal journalism thing or whatever. And when I was, you know in my early twenties or whatever that was, uh, it meant the world to me that this woman who at the time was working for hit parader magazine, even knew my name and knew that I was out of Texas and, uh, I was honored. So I, I've always had a soft spot for Anne in my heart because she, she, she encouraged me and helped push me along. So I I still have, I still have a very soft spot, soft spot in my heart for Anne Layton. Um, likewise, she was the uh, hip writer editor, and I I was really big into writing letters, and I would organize letter writing campaigns, and and I sent uh, I started a letter uh, writing campaign for Noisy Mama, and we sent it to Metal Edge, Rip, and all all the 
big magazines. And, you know, there's a story with me and Jerry Miller uh, with Hip Parade or with um, Metal Edge. But, uh, you know, and it was sort of a negative story. But then Anne sat down and hand wrote me a letter that was probably 13 pages long. Wow. And and I still have it. And and it was like how much she loved Noisy Mama. She loved the fact that of all the effort that I was making, and I still own that letter and I still pull it out every now and then when I get bummed out about something. And, and I know that she's still on my side and she actually just helped me with the Bridget West campaign. So she's still wow. in my heart and I still love her. Man, yeah, that's a, awesome. That's awesome. So, so you're still, you're still actually doing something that's ultimately a thankless job. Hmm. A thankless by way of, and it's not, you're not looking for someone to give you money or pat you on the back or give you a hug, but to understand the respect that you got from someone like Ann Layton, an editor right. for a glossy hard rock magazine that everyone loves, right, is huge. Yeah. Uh, journalist, journalism, especially when your job is to help promote the band in a good light, even if you, you sort of have to put your personal uh, opinions aside sometimes about the artist that you're writing for, if it's on assignment. Coming from someone like you, Paul, uh, that is only really writing about things that you completely in full force believe wholeheartedly for, that is a thankless job because first before all of it you're a fan right so you're not going to let anyone get in your way you will trample right over them whatever it takes to get them to come to the show buy the record listen to a song sign a petition call mtv whatever your campaign is really soldiering you uh you it's a thankless job um and you still did it uh, for a lifetime, and and you, in my opinion, you're still doing it on every level or some kind of level, depending on what day of the week it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is it, Paul? What is it that drives you after all these years? Because I, I, I find myself sort of in a similar boat, and um, you know, there, there's, at least in my case, there's certainly not a great deal of money involved in it. And I'm 55 years old now and I have other things going on in my life. I'm a busy man. Uh, but what is Wait, it? That, what? Yeah. What is it? What is it that keeps you? Uh, what 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 kind of keeps that fire burning, you know, to keep doing stuff when there's very little return? Well, and how do you find the time for it? I don't have time for it. Um, actually, I just went and got a second job. I'm working 60 hours a week, though. And I wake up at, like at two o'clock in the morning just so I can spend an hour and a half to help Bridget or, you know, help promote some of these podcasts and stuff. But I, I love the music, first and foremost. It's like, you know, we all grew up in an age where we had the little transistor radio stuck in our bed when we were supposed to go to bed. And we rocked then. Then we got our eight track player and our, you know, stereo. Back then we had awesome radio stations that we could discover new music. And we used to be able to go into record stores. And, you know, um, I was very, very grateful that I have one of the best record stores in my hometown. 
And I used to go there religiously two or three times a week. And I, if I was still there, I would still be there. Yesterday was record store day. And, yeah. um, you know, it was all, it starts with the music. And then one of the first bands I ever worked, I wouldn't say work for, but one of the first bands that I really got dedicated into help promoting was Queen Drake. And at that time, in the early 80s, uh, they had an awesome fan club. And they were, they used to tell you, write letters. Here's all the addresses and phone numbers. Phone, phone call your call your uh, radio stations and stuff. And they gave you the information. And I was calling Florida, New Mexico, any radio station on there. I'm like, damn it, play some Queen Drake, you know. And they and I back then the the response was, um, what's Queen Drake? Who's Queen Drake? Queen who? And and then. Then all of a sudden things started taking off that, you know, they're on Grammys playing Silent Lucidity. And, you know, every time you turned on the radio, Silent Lucidity was on there and everybody goes, man, I'm getting sick of that song. And I turned it up because I was like, I earned that every time I called a radio station, I heard Queen Who, Queen Who. And then it's like uh, it made me really proud. And because and, I really did feel like I was a part of that success. And that's how it sort of started. And then once I got once I got those contacts and stuff, then I went to Pariah, which, you know, I hope we can talk a lot about Pariah today. Of course. Yeah. We can. And, um, so did and, the guys in Queensryche ever acknowledge, were they aware of your efforts or? Was no, this, no, no. Um, I can't say that um, because the funny thing is, is I did a video. It was called Paul Does Ohio. It was about different ways that you can promote Queensryche. I went to the local radio station. They let me go in and videotape them playing uh, I Don't Believe in Love. And the DJ was actually a really good friend of mine and he loved Queensryche and he videotaped me as he was dedicating it to me. And then I was on MTV several times regarding Queensryche. I had a video dedicated to me. And then um, I did this video and mostly because at the time I had like all these pen pals and I was writing about, hey, I went to this club in Cleveland to go see this band. And, hey, I went to see Queensryche at the Cleveland Coliseum. And so I decided to go to the Cleveland Coliseum, videotape all the, you know, videotape the arena and say, hey, Queensryche played here, you know. And like I did all this video and um, I wanted to prove that I was a Queensryche fan, but I also wanted to prove how you can promote bands and stuff. And, and I sent it to the band and uh, I know a couple of the band members saw it. And, and uh, I know uh, the Michael Wilton's guitar player, the guitar player, his mom, who actually ran the fan club at that time, she acknowledged it and called me and, you know, and said how they loved it and everything. So um, I do think that they did, but I, at the time it was more like I just did it out of the love of the music, and and then uh, you know it wasn't that's until what, that's kind of what I was that's kind of what I was talking about, you know when when I say your name and and they they either know who you are or they don't know who you are. It's easy for me to say he's a he's a one man street team. He's a he's a he's a super fan. He's keeping it real worldwide 24 7 for rock and roll and and if he's a fan and i used to say the same thing about metal dave it's still true to this day yeah. if you guys either of you guys are a fan 
of of someone's band, that band could not be a luckier band. Because yeah. you guys are gonna wear it on your sleeve, you're gonna wear it, you know, you're gonna you're gonna shout it out loud. Literally. Yep. You're going to be in the front row. You're going to write about it. You're going to tell people about it. You're going to stand in front of the record store and, you know, shake babies and kiss hands and, and <laughs> throw rallies and whatever you got to do. Now, um, I want to go back just a little bit. Uh, I like how you kind of set it up, but were, were you in, excuse me if I get this wrong, were you in Niles, Ohio? Did I say that right? Yes, Niles. Wow, do you believe you I remember it, that? That prevagen is kicking in. Because you've called it everything but Niles in the past. Yeah, I know it. I called it like Naples. It's like, yeah. well, I'm not from Europe, but cool. So, Paul, uh, you, you touched on something that uh, triggered a question uh, a minute ago. Uh, you were talking about Queensryche. And uh, I know as well as anybody that, you know, what, what you and I do as far as the from the journalism end is not uh, it's not very lucrative. So um, what what would you say is your greatest reward? Um, our greatest acknowledgement that you're most proud of after all the all the efforts that you've poured into a particular band has anyone ever come back to you and 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 thanked you in such a way that really left a, a, an impression on you? You know what he's he's sitting in this uh, podcast with us, Mr. Uh, McMaster. Dave, Dave, I, I, Dave, I thought you never knew Paul. I thought you didn't know Paul. Yeah. Paul's like calling yeah, you I, out saying. That you've that you in a in a former life I I'm was not, signed to a major label and have a I'm gold. Not, you're not talking about Dave. I'm not call, calling you out. Uh, I said McMaster, Mister McMaster. Um, at one point, I think it was the year ninety nine, two thousand. I was I met my wife and we we were we were going through some struggles and we wanted to move on and 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 stuff. And at that time, the music industry was wasn't going in the direction that I really had the passion for. Um, I, I don't like to mention names, but like Limp Biscuit and Corn and them, I just it was painful for me to like them, sort of speak. And um, so I, I, I decided my wife and I talked about it. And we decided that I would, you know, step back for a while. And um, and at that time. Dangerous Toys first album went gold and Jason and I were talking and he says, I really want you to have a gold record. And my wife said, you know, you got to have it. And she made arrangements with with Jason and got it for me. I think it was over Christmas time or something. And it still sits on my wall. And I know I wasn't a part of that album, but I, I do feel that I did pour a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears and expense on pissed and artists and and it just made me feel really proud that he acknowledged it that way and after all he's got me on his podcast now so <laughs> i am extremely grateful for well, I everything wish I, I wish i could have done more i keep repeating no. myself it's a thankless job being and it's not about good. any of that because right, i I, I don't uh I, at the end of the day it's the music and you know, when I'm on my way to work and I'm sitting here, you know, playing scared to me, just you providing that music to me is far more reward than anything in this world. That's um, a great story. Um, great. Don't make Ryan me cry. Roxy, you guys know I'm friends with Ryan Roxy and he never gave me any credit until recently. And I, it didn't matter to me because at the end of the day, 
when he come into Pittsburgh or whatever town I was living in, I, I called him and he'd say, I'll get you tickets, passes, all that stuff. And it, it wasn't necessary. In fact, half the time I sold those tickets to pay for the front rows, you know, to go buy a scalper to be in the front row. But, wow. uh, but you know, sitting there in the front row saying, damn, here it is, this guy, I, I've watched him grow up. And now he's sitting there playing schools out. I'm 18, you know. Yeah. And yeah. to me, that that's the biggest reward that, you know, I could ever have. That's great. I have that same gold record in my living room. I saw it in one of your uh, yeah, podcasts. Yeah, yeah. But see, now one Dave's my... making it thing that everyone and their dog has a fucking gold record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I'm mean, diluting the value right, as no, we it was, it, it was a way. It was a way to, to, to tell guys like you that, you know, for you guys being in the front row and knowing all the words and shouting it from the rooftops about not just the band, not just a band I was in, but rock and roll. It's like, I, I see myself in you guys big time because I mean, Gene and Paul don't thank me for all the money I spent on having, having seven kiss t-shirts so I could wear Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on (laughs) for my entire youth. And I don't expect to get what the mailman's here. I got letters from Gene and Paul. That's not happening. Right. right. Um, It's not about that. Like you're saying, it's not about that. I don't care about that. This shit is uh, emotional for me. So exactly. Yeah. And you know what? that rubs off too because i'll tell you why um you know you used to sit there and handwrite letters to me and i know everybody and i still saved all those letters and it wasn't just like hey thanks for your support you you sat there and wrote like two three page letters and you know that meant so much to me it was like wow i can't believe this guy that i like love his music i He's always so cool to me. And here he is handwriting letters to me. And and you were sitting there telling us about your life. And, you know, I remember you were, uh, uh, you were selling coffee and stuff, you know, you, oh, were, yeah. you worked at a coffee shop and stuff. Well, and I, I was, was roast. I was roasting coffee beans to be clear. Yeah. It wasn't like a storefront. It was like a uh, warehouse okay. that like a distributor kind of thing. Right. Yeah. That was an but, interesting uh, job. And we got to rehearse in there for free. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of awesome actually yeah <laughs> yeah so paul is is it um do you play music at all are you like myself i'm i'm a i'm a frustrated musician which is kind of why i branched into the journalism deal because it was my way of sort of staying in the game without having any real musical talent i just knew i had to be in the in in the in the in the in the world of music and promoting and being a fan and enjoying the excitement. So my avenue into that, uh, since I can't tune a guitar, my avenue in was journalism. So do you have any musical ability at all? I I have somewhat dissimilar experience. I I always, for the life, for as long as I can remember, and I have old eight millimeter film, silent movie, black and white film of uh, me, you know, carrying a drum set or drum down the road, you know, I, I just know that at one point when I was born, I was born to rock. I know that I always had a love for drums and I, in elementary school, I went out for the band or whatever. And I, I tried to play drums, 
and I practiced and practiced and practiced and I couldn't keep a beat for anything. And then I went on and took drum lessons through several different outlets. And then I went to my first major concert rush and I saw uh, Neil Peart and I said, there's no way I'll ever, ever, I don't care how many hours I practice, I'll never be a Neil Peart. And I guess, you know, everybody wants to be the best and stuff. So, you know, that goal was way out of reach. So may I comment on that real quick? Sure. It's like the only thing I love that story because it, it still expressed so much passion about you being drawn to it and wanting to do it and feel like you were part of it automatically. Like you said, you were born to do it, right? Yep. The, the, what gets me is, is, is when people, and it's not just you, but something you said, it's a very popular sort of like, uh, answer, uh, that seems to fall on the negative about everybody wants to be the best. And I think that that's people's downfall. The best does not exist. You strive to push yourself because you have a passion and you're, that you are drawn to. You said everything right until you got to, I wanted to be the best. I saw Neil Peart and I got bummed out and I threw my drumsticks in the garbage can, you know. Well, if everybody did that, there wouldn't be another drummer on the planet. So right. <laughs> thankfully, not everybody got that frustrated. Right. Yeah. So, so it's never too late to pick it back up. Just just set your goals well, lower. Just say your goals. Well, at one lower. point, at one point, I discovered that. Um, so, I, I'm, I, and I, I know Dave's using the word journalist. I was never a journalist. Um, I couldn't put a proper sentence together if I tried. Um, <laughs> I've seen a know, couple. I've seen a couple yeah. of sentences you've written that are pretty well, damn good, Paul. I know, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm horrible at it, and I, I know that, but. I think that once you, you know, as long as you show it through your heart, uh, yeah. you know, people connect to it. That's but, right. And if I don't do it, who's going to, you know, well, that's, that's the why way you're here today, buddy. And, but at the time um, I did enjoy writing letters to, um, you know, to other music lovers and to other uh, people in music and stuff and such as yourself. I did love doing that. And like I said, with the Queens right thing, I would write letters and they were probably 10 pages long and babbled and stuff. And I, I didn't care, but every week when you get them or every month you get the metal edge and all of a sudden, you know, something that you said in that, in your letter, you know, appeared there somehow, some way. And, or, you know, they said, Oh, in order for your band to be in uh metal edge, you have to pay for an advertisement. But then all of a sudden, noisy mama's in there every month you know so i do think i do believe in the power of the pen i do believe that if it is properly written it can be you know it, it would be more beneficial but i just knew i i did that better than playing drums and that's why i went with that direction but yeah. and you, you'd seen some of my flyers they're horrible i, I will be the first one to admit it but they're but not it's that not, bad. They're not ba that like bad. That bad. The idea. Like the idea. Pariah, I just took their logo and put it on there, and I hand wrote on there and said, "Be at the show." You know, <laughs> I, I I'm going to save that story for later. Though. What That's else do you point. need to say? I yeah, mean, exactly. exactly. <laughs> You're screaming so, it from the rooftop, like I say. You know, just yeah. be there. Yeah. Yeah.
So, okay, you, you opened the door and you mentioned Pariah earlier. Tell us about your involvement with Pariah. And, and for those who are listening who may not be familiar with Pariah, first of all, our producer, Jared Tootin, the producer of the Talk Louder podcast, was in Pariah. Uh, they were an Austin, Texas band, uh, contemporaries of Dangerous Toys, signed to Geffen Records, uh, off to what seemed to be a pretty promising start. Uh, as so often happens, it, it never really amounted to, you know, huge success or anything like that. But you were involved with Pariah. So just I wanted to offer some context there as to who Pariah sure. is for anyone listening. And now tell us how you met those guys and what your involvement was with that band. Well, back in the early 80s, I moved to Texas. And I, as I said before, I had a lot of pen pals and including several in San Antonio, Austin and um the one pen pal, her name was Chris, her and her friend, lovely friend, uh, Rose. Um, Rose always got elected to be our chaperone. So every time I would go to San Antonio to visit Chris, Rose had to tag along to make sure that we weren't doing anything stupid, which was never a plan. But um, Chris one day sent me a demo tape of Pariah, the Rattle Your Skull uh, demo. And I fell in love with it. And she said, you know, you should go see them. They're going to come to Houston soon. And they came to Houston and I went early and hung out and saw their sound check. I think and I they, have that demo on my rack behind me somewhere. There you go. I don't want to break my neck grabbing it. So. <laughs> and I still have that demo tape as well. Yeah. And anyway, uh, I went to go see them. And after sound check, Dave got off the stage and he's like, I was up there in the front and, and he's like, he introduced himself to me and he said, uh, I told him, I said, I just moved here from Ohio. And he's like, oh, you know, I have family in Ohio. And we started talking and, and even to this day, we're sort of still brothers in a way. Um, I did ask him recently if he would be a guest on my podcast and he said no, but I respect that. And um, actually Jared's gonna be on my podcast. So that's, nice. that's, that's gonna be nice too. But anyway, he, he took me around, introduced me to all the band members. And he says, hey, we're playing Austin next week at Back Room. Why don't you come and see us? And I said, maybe I will. And I drove up there and and then you're sitting there and you're like going, you know, I really dig this band. And then you look over your shoulder and Jason McMaster's standing right next to you. I'm like, damn, you know, this is awesome. Like, you know, and then one time, uh, this one time, Pariah was going to come to Houston. It was August 2nd. My birthday's August 1st. I was like, this will be the most awesome birthday party. You know, they were played at the backstage. So I decided I'm going to make up a flyer. I want this show to sell out. And because up to that point, they did well in Houston, but they hadn't really like packed the place. And I was bound and determined no matter what, we're going to pack the place. So I made up... I don't know how many thousands of flyers. I started like maybe a month before the show. I, I'd get my paycheck. I, I had an extra $100. I'd go make $100 worth of flyers. Then I'd hit all the record stores and all that stuff. Well, then there's this concert coming to Houston at the summit. It was the Operation Rock and Roll Tour. And I said, badass, I'm going to go. I was the first one in that parking lot. And I hit the parking lot as those cars came in. I gave him flyers, please, next week is my, my concert, um, my birthday party. I want it to sell out. 
And, you know, you could hand the people the flyers, especially back then in the 80s. There was all those religious nuts passing out the, you know, uh, religious flyers and stuff, and people just dropped them. I sat there and talked to every single person. I'm like, look, if you never heard of Pariah, they're a badass rock and roll band. You're here tonight for rock and roll. Come next weekend to backstage. So I think it made a big difference, but I, I hit... I, even when I went in the venue, I walked up and down the aisles and handed out flyers. And next week came, it was my birthday. That place sold out and Pariah found out about it. They found out that, hey, there was this you know guy passing out flyers at the Operation Rock and Roll show. And I'm sure a lot of those people brought that flyer in and asked them to sign it and told them how they got the flyer. And they found out it was me and, and called me like a week later, and she said there was a band meeting and we decided we want you to be a part of our team. And I, I was, I've, I've been very proud of that even to this day. And I, I, uh, and then I do have another prize story. Um, it, I don't know, I don't remember exact, uh, it was in 94, early 94. And Dave had called me in Ohio and he said, look, you know, we're, we got together. We want to do one last ditch effort for a, a whole national tour to support the album. And he said, you know, can you help us? Is there any, do you have any information on clubs or any place that we can play? We don't care. We're going to, we'll pay for, we'll play for gas money. We don't care. We just want to do, do this. And I said, look, I said, I have all kinds of information, but I don't have it many club information i said but i will put together what i have and i said i can and will tell you if you come to my hometown i promise you you know if you if you get the club owner and he's wishy-washy don't know whether he wants to promote your i mean you know book you or not let me know who it is i will personally go there and i will you know i will have a talk with him so it, he calls me and he says there's this club in youngstown um called the magic twanger and he said, we want you to uh, <laughs> love that. Yeah. Magic twanger. Love and he, that. Said, and he says, you know, my, my, my dirty mind working overtime. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it was very, very nice place. It was, awesome. it was, it was very big venue. And um, like, well, it, anyway, it turns out, he said, you know, we're really close to booking them, booking there, but they, you know, they still haven't, you know, so I drove there. I, as soon as I got off the phone with him, I drove straight to Youngstown. I went to the thing. I asked for the guy and he come out and he couldn't have been any cooler. I said, look, if you book the band, I promise you, I will out of my own pocket, I'll promote the show. And he said, let's do it then. So Pariah came to my hometown in 1994. I call, I still call it the party of 94. Um, at the time I worked for a pizza shop and they catered all the food and everything. And, um, and Pariah pulled in and, and kicked Ohio's ass. And, um, it was, it was, it was, and, it, and the turnout was unbelievable. Uh, we had travelers from Minnesota, from New Jersey, New York. Um, I'm sure Jason, you know, Adrian and, um, mm -hmm. Julie, they came out. We had a girl from Denver, Colorado that um, her and this other girl from uh, Pennsylvania, uh, the girl from Colorado took a Greyhound bus, took her a wow. week to get to the show or wow. to get to. And I invited a couple of these people uh, to my place and 
I put them up for two or three days. At the time, I was also delivering newspapers and we'd have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and deliver newspapers. And these girls were nuts. They were like, let's do it, you know, and we're out there delivering papers and, and uh, delivering pizzas. And then we went to the show and it was it was like, you know, I think you can ask any one of the band members in Pariah. Um, it was an awesome night and it, it was it was an honor for me. I, I've I've begged Jason to bring the toys to my hometown. Of course, that's never happened. Um, Ryan Roxy, I've asked him to come to my hometown, and he has not only come to my hometown, but he's been there several times recently. Well, and, no, no one can live up to the story you just told about Pariah. Maybe we're well, shaking in our boots. We can't. can't. No. Not gonna be You're still to more than that. welcome to come to Niles, Ohio. We will find some kind of corner for you to set up and rock, rock our ass. So this, so so this infamous party, uh, this this yes. pariah party, the party of '94, as you call it. Yes. Wasn't there camcorders? I mean, it was '94. There were camcorders. This might have yes. been pre-cell phones. So, but there were camcorders. I swear to the rock and roll gods that I have a VHS tape that says pariah party of 94. Yeah. What would be on that video? <laughs> a drunken Paul Unger that, uh, that was following everybody around and harassing them. With a camcorder narrating. Yeah. 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 Well, you, that have, sounds, you have a copy of, of, I, of I do. And I need to break that out and digitize it. So, because yeah. I think the, the tape is probably going to burst into flames. <laughs> I have a, I have a, well, I thought I tried to digitize it. And, um, and I actually, I just met this guy in New York that um, he, you know, he went to go see Dave sound or being the sound guy for a blues traveler. And he went, mm -hmm. cause he, he said he was a pariah fan and stuff. And, mm -hmm. And he went to go meet Dave and um, I, I wrote him and I said, here, I'm going to share a couple pictures with you. And then we started chatting and I told him I would send him some copies of some of my prior videos. And and for whatever reason, when I digitized the 94 stuff, it, it didn't come out. I have to redo it, I think. But mm. if you do it before me, I'd love to have a copy of it. Well, I'm set up to do it. I'll, I'll see what I can do. That would be great. Yeah, there's two. Wait. There's two of them. There's. Uh -oh. And I and I don't and I don't think you have the original there's, one. There's the clean it, version. Yeah, no, there's the one that was the party three or four nights there's before the Pariah concert. Oh, no, th this was the pre 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 show party. So how? But, uh, give us a sense of uh, you're talking about VHS tapes and and things of that nature, and you've obviously been chronicling your love of rock and roll for decades now. So, give us a sense of what does your collection look like. I mean, is it is it an entire room just floor to ceiling full of stuff or or what storage units? What? Uh, actually, it's just the opposite. And it, it, originally, when I I moved to Texas, I've lived in Texas probably three or four times, and then I've moved all over the country. I've lived in uh, um, Florida and Ohio. And now I'm in Pennsylvania. And through over the years, when the last time I left Texas wasn't a good thing. It was uh, it was a very horrible experience in my life. I don't ever really like talking about it. You don't. But have when to. I when I left there, I pretty much left almost all my belongings. And uh, um, when I say about a Greyhound bus ride, if you to go to Niles, Ohio, from Niles, Ohio to 
Houston to just get in your car and drive straight through. It's 24 hours. Um, that Greyhound bus ride home was uh, about a week and a half, two weeks. And it was an experience I'll never do again. If I have, at least not ever want to do it again. And, um, but unfortunately I had a, one of my best friends, Terry, he pretty much inherited all my really, really cool stuff. Um, and then, you know, in the past six years, I had to move to Pennsylvania and, you know, we've had at least 30 deaths in our immediate family and friends, best friends in the past six years. And seems like every two months I'm going to a funeral. And when we moved here, we lost her, her my wife's mom and dad, and we're still going through their stuff. And we when we moved here, her mom had Alzheimer's. So, um, you know, she didn't want us to move our stuff in because she thought we were kicking her out. So everything went in closets and garage and sheds and stuff. And and then, um, you know, my father, my mom and dad passed recently and we're going through their stuff. And I I don't think there's anybody out there that's going to really want i know my wife doesn't want half my junk <laughs> what's my junk is i think all of us can say that uh, no, ever, I, don't know, I don't know if ever, you've noticed i don't know if you've noticed the things that are sitting behind me and dave yes <laughs> <laughs> but that's like basically the garbage heap yeah yeah well i've gone through a lot of the stuff and i you know like i i i was one of the biggest queen drake fans and i I was told that I could have a Queensryche museum and I looked through all this stuff and I was like, it was all one of a kind stuff that, you know, I'm like, I don't want to see it get thrown out. And at this, at this rate, I don't have a man cave or studio where I can showcase it. So I packed all this stuff up and sent it to a very dear friend in Arizona that's still a Queen Drake fan. She still goes, travels and goes to all the shows. And awesome. if anybody that would appreciate it, I knew she would. Awesome. And and she, I told her, now you start the Queen Drake um, Museum. Yeah. And yeah, so, I, I've, I've been on the receiving end of, of some of that stuff myself. I, I, I think too, you know, uh, for whatever reason, some people sort of outgrow their love of music or at least outgrow the love of collecting all the memorabilia. They, they still love the music itself, but they, they don't cling to the material things like the three of us do apparently. Right. And uh, I, I often find myself on the receiving end of some, somebody will say, yeah, I was going through a closet. I found this box full of stuff. I've got no use for it. You know, who would love it? Dave. <laughs> so yeah. I end up getting stuff like that also. And I love it. I appreciate it. But yeah. I've gotten to the point where I've had to tell people, um, you know, as much as I appreciate the thought and the sentiment, I can't take another single poster. <laughs> I just yeah. have no wall space for anything. Yeah. Um, and, and, but I do love it. So I, I, I can understand, um, you know, out, you know, having it sort of overwhelm your entire house and start spilling right. into the front yard and all that stuff. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about your uh, acquaintance or friendship, I should call it actually, with Ryan Roxy, who plays guitar for Alice Cooper. And uh, 
you you helped sort of nudge him to get us on the Talk Louder podcast, and we appreciate that very much. Yeah, he was great. Um, your your relationship with him goes far back. What what year did that start, and who was he playing with at the time? Well, he told the story about the Electric Angels. I yeah, I yeah, was yeah, actually. Yeah. I was actually helping the band Danger Danger, and they were the opening band on that tour. Mm-hmm. And um, there was these two girls in Austin. They live in Austin, um, Patty and Melissa. And they were, they were at the time, like you said before about the fanzines and the putting your phone numbers in there, and then these, these fans let them crash, the bands crash mm-hmm. while they're on the road. Well, I know majority of that Texas leg they electric angel stayed at patty and melissa's and um i was going to all the shows but i was going for danger danger and these girls i see that i go to the san antonio show we're at sneakers and i see these two girls up there just dancing away at electric angels and and i said um I, w- I went up to them and i said hey didn't i see you last night in dallas and they're like yeah and I said, well, where do you live? And they said, Austin. And I was like, oh, okay. And they said, we want you to introduce, we want to introduce you to, to the Electric Angels. Well, Ryan was, and it is sort of funny because I interviewed him on my podcast, but when I, the very first time I ever met him, he was outside in the parking lot signing autographs. And I'm sitting there thinking, but he's the opening band. Like he's, he thinks he's like, you know, Elton John or something. And he was like, I was sitting there going, boy, this guy really got a nigo. And then who would have thought, you know, that he and I would become friends someday down the road. But, you know, um, I met him and then, you know, every night I would say, hey, Ryan, he's like, what's your name? And I was like, okay. And uh, but then um, when I was on tour with Kiss, I went on tour with Kiss. What is it? uh, 95 or something Mm -hmm. like that. 96. Mm -hmm. And um uh gene's guitar tech was a guy named kenny Barr, and um you know i i had my magazines there on on tour with me and i was passing them around to all the kiss fans and stuff and i gave him a copy and i said and the next day he come up to me he's like dude he's like i know half those people that are in your magazine and he's like that's really cool he's like you know it was really positive there wasn't any slamming on any of the bands or anything and i was like I said, yeah, you know, that's I, I was just an informational thing. And he said, well, um, you know, so he and I became really good friends. Well, after the KISS tour, um, you know, of course, we got invited to the um, MTV Unplugged where KISS brought out Peter and Ace and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, then about a month later, after the after it was completely over, they announced Alice and Scorpions. Alice was going to open up with Scorpions. And this was in 96 because it was right after Ryan started with the band. But anyway, we go. I, I went and, of course, got front row seats. And I'm sitting there. And I, I first went in the door. And I'm sitting there. And, and I look up on stage. They're setting up for Alice. And there's Kenny Barr. And I was like, Kenny, you know. And he's like, he's like hey, Paul. He's like, um, you know, give me, give me a little bit. I'm really busy. But give me a minute. I'll come talk to you. I was like, Okay. Well, later he comes down, he hands me a couple of passes after the, after Alice. And he said, uh, I'll talk to you, you know, after the show. And I was like, okay. So all of a sudden the lights go down and the band comes out. There's Ryan Roxy. And I see Kenny Barr handing him the guitar. And I was like, no way. Like, what are the odds <laughs> that Kenny Barr is Roxy's guitar player or guitar tech? It was. 
<laughs> so then we go backstage after the after Alice, and Kenny goes, "Come here, I want to introduce you to to this guy." And he he goes, and Roxy says, "Oh, I know this dude, you know." And I, and Kenny looks at me, and I go, I, "You know." He and I go back away a ways, and he's like, "He's like, oh, that's really cool." Well. Then Ryan, Ryan and I started talking and he says, well, I got this demo tape. And he goes, let's follow me and we'll go on the bus and I'll give you a demo tape. And it was dad's porno bag. Oh, and right. he ha- handed it to me and I, I listened to it on the way home. And I, I was like, I, I was hooked. It's like he, you know, I, I, even to this day, I still think that that was, that's like one of his best work. I, wow. I, I really, really enjoy dad's porno bag, but of course, you know, at the time I handed him, handed Ryan my magazine and, and, you know, a certain merchandise uh, thing that we used to sell with dangerous toys. And I made up some of those uh, for You can Ryan. say what they were. Uh, well, no, because I might have somebody watching here that I don't really want them to know. Well, but. What were they then? Were they, uh, if I say it, you'll say yes. Were they panties? Was it condoms? No, was it no. shot glasses? It was condoms, you know right? what? It, you know what they were. Condoms? No. Dildos? <laughs> no. But, um, but anyway, I don't know I what said, they were. Were they brassiers? Were they, you know. Uh, tobacco pipes. Oh, oh, tobacco pipes. Yeah. Dude, you know what? Those were cool. So they those of cool. you out there, those of you out there um, <laughs> who might have one of these broken teeth tobacco pipes, you have- they actually like, had dangerous well, toys. You had dangerous toys ones too, right. We sold those at the merchandise booths and you either had to have two or three of them or you weren't <laughs> interested at all. Right. Yeah. So certain. Yeah. So if anybody out there has one of those, you did them for broken teeth too. I and did I don't have any of those anymore. Really? Yeah. Those went like hotcakes. Says a lot oh, yeah. about my my friends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they well, they like the tobacco. funny thing is, they the like funny tobacco. thing is, the funny thing is, is that that night that I. I gave uh, Ryan the magazine mm-hmm. and uh, he gave me the demo tape. And then about a week later, he sends me a letter and he says, well, I did some research because Ryan's old band, Electric Angels, when he left the band, they still played, but they played under the band called Loveless. The Loveless. Called, called what? The Loveless. The Loveless. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it was basically Electric Angels without Ryan with a different guitar player. Mm-hmm. And um, and I started doing some work for them. And uh and I, I, it turns out the bass player, uh, he actually right now is Green Day's manager. And wow. um, he... Green, Green, um, Day's, Green Day's sound man lives like a block away from me that way. Yeah, yeah. And um, he, he also manages a bunch of other bands. But at the time, he worked for a company. He worked for um, the Cures uh, publishing company. And he was, he was managing several bands. And one of them really wanted to sell these pipes. And um, so I sold I sold a boatload of them to them. And when Ryan says, hey, um, I did some research to check up on you, you know, because I saw the Loveless was in your magazine. And he goes, I heard about that merchandise and stuff. He goes, I'd like to get some in my hand on some of those, too. So pretty much that's how our friendship really started was through dad's. You know, I met him early at the Electric Angels, but we became friends when he was. Uh, with the whole dad's porno mag thing. Well, it sounds like he, you, he, using Ryan's words, he did some 
some some looking behind the scenes and some research, some detective work on uh, who Paul Unger was and what good you are bringing to uh, fellow man uh, yeah. through merchandising and shouting the words of rock and roll uh, like a preacher. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm really glad that that happened, but if I would have run into him backstage through Kenny Barr to, for the reintroduction, you should have played like, oh, what's your name again? Yeah. Whether he, <laughs> whether yeah. he said, I know this dude. He, he he had to remember your name. You could have played that off. Uh, Touche, right? Yeah. Um, Ryan is really, um, really kind of a special guy, isn't he? He is. He's very yeah. genuine. Um, and he's always been that way. Yeah. And, uh, and the funny thing is, it's like he when he says – you know, I don't want to go backstage and just hang out and waste my time. I, I'd rather get out and feed the, off the energy of the of the crowd. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't. Have you ever played in Pittsburgh? Who me? Yeah, of Not course. Because <laughs> um, Pittsburgh's pretty Dave, special. Have you ever played in Pittsburgh? I have yeah. not. Okay. I, I, uh, they, they they won't meet my contract demands. Okay, all yeah. right. Brown M and M thing. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pittsburgh's pretty special. Like, um, you know, when I, 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 I always say I was born in Ohio, but I was raised in Texas because mm -hmm. as soon as I graduated from Ohio, I moved to Texas and I learned so much about life and, and the general good of people in Ohio. A lot of people are cutthroat. They're vicious. They'll backstab you as soon as you turn your back. And in Texas, I learned that the people there are very genuinely uh, great people. And I always say this story because in here in Pennsylvania, where I live now, the people are very genuine and good people. But the difference between Texas and Pennsylvania is in Texas, if you were down and out, they would give their shirt off their back for you. Um, if they couldn't, if you were in a ditch, they'd jump in the ditch with you and stay there with you until you got out of the ditch. And here in Pennsylvania, wow. they just say, we'll pray for you. And right. there's nothing wrong with either way. But, but, um, but in, Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, they allow tailgating. And it brings so much to the whole, like every concert is an event. So as soon as that parking lot opens, there's tents going up, there's barbecue pits, <laughs> you know, and people... They turn the volume up on their stereos and they got the loudest. Yeah. It is parking lot. Yeah, it is. And, and it's like, it, it is so awesome. And the one year um, Ryan said, Ryan said he had started this thing. He called it the, the rock and roll parking lot meet and greet. And, mm -hmm. but he would like go across the street to the local bar and he would post on Facebook. And at that time, nobody really knew who he was. And he would say, hey, anybody that sees this, I'll be across the street at the bar before you know the what? show. Hold on. Hold the phone yeah. for a second. He still does that shit. He did yeah. it on the cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Just as yeah. February, it's like if if you had any, if he had your email address or your, yeah. or your phone number or you were friends on Facebook, 
he posted a mass posting. Yep. Hey, this isn't for anybody, but if I if I even know you a little bit, yep. be at this part on the ship, at the front yep. of the boat at 11 a.m. We're going to hang out. We're going to have mimosas, and I'm, yep. I'm going to be holding court. You guys meet me there, and we'll have a big group hug kind of a thing. Yep. He still does that shit. He does. And uh, so he, he so when he was coming to Pittsburgh, I said, oh, listen. But for I said, the record, I didn't go, but go ahead. You know, uh, why didn't you go? <laughs> It's beauty sleep. I don't know. <laughs> what happened? Bre breakfast. Uh. Yeah. Um, but he anyway, the, the one time he was coming to Pittsburgh and I said, why don't you bring it out to the parking lot? I was like, you know, and, and what I did was I had this big umbrella that you have in your picnic umbrella with your big table and stuff. And I loaded it up in my car. I drove, got there real early. I stuck this umbrella, I opened it up and stuck it out in the back seat of my car. And I made up a bunch of flyers and I hit the parking lot and said, if you want to meet Alice's guitar player, come on over to that big umbrella that's sticking out of that car. And by the time I made it all the way around the venue and passed out these flyers, there was this line that like went forever. Like it went down the street and around the corner and and Ryan came out and he signed autographs and took pictures. Now I, I grabbed this merchandise. I flipped open my trunk and I sat there and sold his merchandise out of my trunk. And um, I told him, I said, and anyway, he sat there and he, he never left until every last person, you know, got a signature or a, or a picture or anything. Wow. And then, then um, a year later uh, they come back and I did the same thing, but I was running late and I didn't get the parking spot that I normally would like to have had. And I walked around the parking lot. And when I come back, there was these nuts that were parking in my spot and they had this 14 foot guillotine. And they, the, the old man was an artist and he painted this awesome Alice Cooper, you know, design and stuff on this guillotine. And Ryan's standing out there signing autographs before I even got around the around the, the parking lot. So we sat there and sold merchandise. Now every year this this party gets bigger and better. We have a guillotine, we have um, an electric chair, we have a gallows where you can you know get a picture where you can hang yourself and and there's a coffin like you're turning you know, it into you're turning it into like an alice cooper's nightmare sort of carnival it, it is it, it is a carnival promote, is a good promoting rock and roll as well as just the the idea of alice and of course ryan is there holding court I yeah love and how then much, uh, how much does it cost so, to hang yourself just uh, nothing. It, nothing it's just there it's like uh by the way you can get your head in the guillotine. Just for, you know, just for all the uh, abiding by the whatever FCC rules here, no one's really yeah. hanging themselves. <laughs> no. But, but it's free to hang yourself, Dave. Yeah. That's a bargain yeah. right there. Yeah, it's uh, fake hanging yourself, by the I, way. I'll tell you what, like, it's reached the point. Like, the first year we did it, we had, like, a group photo, and Ryan would come out and sign autographs and stuff. And there was one year that he he came out. It was at the big outdoor arena. And everybody was cooking and stuff. And he's like, I got to see this, you know, and I wanted to show him where we were parked. So I went and got him. We come out and he was like, I got to tell the band this. And he brought everybody like he brought the whole entire band, except for Alice, out, even Nita, which now she doesn't participate in anymore. But um, 
they, he brought the whole entire band out. They all sat there and partied with us and stuff. And, and it, every year we have a group photo where Ryan will get in the band uh, in a picture with us. And it, it started out as like maybe 20 people. And now there's like so many people that you can't get everybody in the picture. It's like and it's just the people trying to a hundred people trying to take a selfie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean it's it is just truly a, an awesome experience to go see Alice Cooper in Pittsburgh right now. Wow! Um, now you this last time we played, uh, you mentioned it. the Kiss tour. In in what capacity did you work for Kiss, and and did you have any like any personal interaction with Gene or Paul, or is at what lineup is this? Is this the original reunion lineup, or? It was um, 19, maybe Jason can answer it better than I it, can. Hold on, the, so let's let's call it something. Was it the KISS convention tour? Yes, yes. Okay, oh. so that's ninety. That's 95, right before- 95, I think it was. Right before the, the Ace, re, the Ace and Peter first like full tour reunion right. show. Right, right. Okay. So Look. I worked for a company, um, I worked for a company called H&H, and they, at that time, every Kiss album ever came out on vinyl, everything but Kiss Alive 3. So this company went in and licensed Kiss Alive 3, and they put it out on vinyl in three different colors, and they individually numbered them, and, um, and they added a bonus track to it. And then, then we discovered that Revenge was only on vinyl in the UK when it first came out. So we went and licensed that and uh, put it out on vinyl, on like a colored vinyl and um, individually numbered copies it. of those? Do you have copies of those on vinyl? Um, the only thing I saved, the only thing that I saved from there was the revenge. We did it on a Japanese Obi strip and it was my job to sit in this warehouse. We got the albums in and they had these professionally printed obi strips. And, what is um, an obi strip? I am a dinosaur. In, in, Japan, in Japan, they they put like a, what they call an obi strip around the the like CD case or the album, and it's basically an advertisement for the album. And then on the backside, there's if it's a record label, they might advertise another album or so. So you it's know, an ad. Somebody that's it's an those. ad that's like a ribbon. Yeah, like sort a hype yeah. sticker or something. Okay. Like that. okay. So. As far we did all this research, and as far as we knew, there was never an Obi strip in the US. So we thought it would be really cool to put, especially Kiss was huge in Japan. So we thought it would be really cool to do a, a US Obi strip. Well, it was my job to go. Well, first we get the test. I mean, we got the albums in and they got all excited. My bosses got all excited. They went home, they put it on the turntable. Hair of the hole was too small wouldn't fit on the spindle ah. they're freaking out because we had promised all these kiss fans we're gonna have these records out ah. and so they they called me up middle of the night said we need you to get down here right away bring your drill <laughs> you know what i wish we had a drill i wish we Hold had a, a thousand more yeah i wish we had You'll a be drill home next tuesday so i had to uh they gave me this hand file and I, I had to sit there and <laughs> well, you did it by hand. I did it oh by hand. Oh my god. So then wow. Then they I they gave me this big piece of plywood and I, I was give you a standing to, ovation for doing that, by the way. <laughs> what did I say? That's a thankless job. Bro. Yeah. Damn. So I was sitting there drilling these holes and then um then 
they, my job was to put these OB strips on. So I got, you turn the OB strip over, you turn the album over and, you know, on the back of revenge, it, it says um, the names of the songs and stuff. And then on the back of the Obi strip, it had the names of the songs. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and I'm glue sticking these Obi strips on. And I got to look and I'm like, I was about, I don't know, 500 of them into it. And I realized those dumb asses, I said, they, what is the song? Every time I look at you or every time I love you, what's every the name of that I song? Look at you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the Obi strip, they had every time I love you or something like that. And <laughs> as I'm gluing these, I look and I said, oh, my God, they fucked up. And I called them middle of the night and I said, dude, you guys realize because they spent a fortune. Like there was no way they were ever even if they sold every album, they weren't going to make any money because of these stupid Obi strips. And it turns out they come running over and we, we had to throw them all away and stuff and they redid them well i was the one that took the little punch that punched in the individual number and on the oh, right. ob strip mm. well i i saved the number 666 ob strip yes. on the wrong one the 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 one oh, that's the, the shitty not one. right the misspelled yeah. shit Mis that, yes. that makes it even cooler I absolutely think. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. the reason why i took it yeah so and, the um, Obi strip, just to just to be my my humor, uh, right? It's, it's just for me because it's I'm gonna laugh at my own joke. <laughs> that Obi strip is the, is the kind of shit that only the big ass nerds hold on to. Oh yeah. man, this is cool. I'm gonna keep this. Yeah. Jason, it's an ad for you know the the new Duran Duran. Well, I like Duran Duran, but yeah. it's just an ad for other shits. You know, well, you I mean, get a free Slurpee cool. with this. You know, yeah. Da, 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 da. And it's they like only it cool. nerds will keep it. Oh, dude, it says Kiss on it. Yeah, but it says Walmart on it too. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, we we tried to make it cool. They they tried to make it cool and stuff. I'm sure. But, I'm sure it's cool. But anyway, the one day they said they announced the Kiss convention tour, and they said, "Okay." Um, they called me in the office, and they said, "Okay, here's the deal. We're going to load you up in a van. We're going to load load all the Kiss records on there, and we're going to send you out on road." And I said, you know, cool. So they they gave me this uh, atlas because back then we didn't have cell phones or anything. And they gave me these. Um, the the one guy at H and H was a banker, and he was like the president of the bank. And if you went into the bank and you applied for a loan or got a new checking account, they gave you this uh, phone card that for like three minutes you can call somebody anywhere in the United States. So they gave me this stack. Of these phone cards like this they said every five every five miles we want you to pull off the side of the road and go to a pay phone and call call us and let us know where you're at what you're doing all that stuff like whatever so i got to looking at the map and they had me going down south and going through texas and you know going to west southwest to because the first show was in la so i get to so i was like but i got friends in denver i got you know I was like, I was just going to, by the time I got to Cincinnati, I threw the Atlas out the window and I just went my own way. And I'd, I'd never call, stopped and called. They had an arrangement with um, uh, Holiday Inns that uh, there was a local Holiday Inn that did business at the bank. And, and the guy says, well, technically we can, we can say that you guys are an employee and you can get a discount, you know, an employee discount as long as you stay at these holiday inns. 
And then it was arranged that if any of the holiday ends were suspicious that they would call this one and they, they had my name on there. Well, once you get, once you get out of Ohio and you're in Kansas, there are no holiday ends, you know? So I, I, uh, I, I went to Denver and partied with a friend of mine, actually from Houston, a friend of mine in Houston. And we, and then I called him the next day in Colorado. And I said, he said, dude, you were supposed to be, you know, in somewhere in Arizona. And I was like, I'll be, I'll be there. I was supposed to pick the one boss up at, um, in LAX on a certain day, the night before the concert or the show, the first show. And, um, I made it. I, I, I left Colorado and I dead head and, and I made it to get, get him out of the airport. But every show was 12 hours long and they had like an acoustic set, a two hour acoustic set. They had a two hour question and answering period. And as we all know, well, anyway, we were about, we were done with the first leg of the tour on the, all the West coast. And I had a week to go from Arizona to Texas. And, you know, of course I was really pleased about that. And then unfortunately I think the Houston show canceled. So I had an extra day. So I went to, I stopped at San Antonio and hung out with friends there for a, a day or two. Then I drove to um, Houston and hung out there for a while. And then I, the day of the Dallas show, I drove the night before, but, um, uh, but after that first leg of tour, Gene's like, Hey, wait a minute. I got this warehouse of all this kiss stuff that, you know, if I, if I, um, you know, he, he contacted my boss and he said, I'll get, I'll give you a deal. You know, we'll ship all this stuff to Houston for the next show. And then, you know, we want you to sell, sell this stuff for us. We said, okay. And, you know, at the time kiss dolls were the, the most popular item that people wanted to buy because there was all these vendors and stuff and then and during the acoustic set um they always picked one song to uh pass around a microphone to uh let the fans sing and i i i am not gonna say i'm not a kiss fan but i'm not a huge kiss fan i when growing up, I liked Kiss, and I was I fell for the. All I'm sorry, the, the conversation is over now. Me and Dave got to go. Go. Yeah. Uh, well, at the time, you know, growing up, it was cool. Sorry, Paul. But, totally kidding. Yes, I mean, at the time, it was really cool in the '70s, you know, to be a Kiss fan. But sure. when I compared it to Alice Cooper, I'd rather be scared than you know the love guns and the you know. I, I loved Alice, you know, probably far more. But on that Kiss tour, I cringed when they passed out those uh, microphones for the one song because it made you really respect the the vocal range of Paul Stanley because you can't just hand a microphone and have somebody sing some of those songs. And and of course, in Dallas, they handed the microphone to who, Jason? Jason McMaster. And <laughs> they fucked up. Uh, Gene Simmons, Gene Simmons should have just said, Paul, go. We got a new singer. Wow. <laughs> you could be the star man. But well, uh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I shit a brick when they wa walked by and handed that mic out to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I might have reached for it. Did they I know who have, you were? I might have, ra I might have raised my hand. 
Did they was, know? What, what was her name? Who was the, what was the girl's name that was the tour manager? You I don't know. Uh, Tommy Tommy Thayer was on that tour. He was like the yeah. production manager on that Kiss convention tour. Yeah. But this there was a the, him in the ace costume. So the 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 um the there was a girl and I forget her name, but she was she was the manager. She was the tour manager. Oh, and okay. um and I remember you telling me that that she she was a manager for you guys too, the toys at one point. I forget what her no. name was. No, Tim Heine was always the toys manager. Not, I, I, I'm not saying a manager. I meant like she. She had something to do with you guys one tour, hmm. um, but at least that's what I thought I remembered. No. But, I wish I remember on, now. Fitness I instructor. Mean, there were, yeah. there were <laughs> fitness instructor. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm so fit. Uh, no, uh, it would have. It may maybe it would have been somebody uh, that at one point was working with our management firm in Los Angeles, but it might've been, I don't remember her name. Somebody like that. Uh, I yeah. I wish I, I but, wish I knew now it's probably in the tour program, which I believe I have. Right. I'm sure that the personnel is all listed in there. Right. But I think, but, how uh, me and, I think how me and Jared Thurman, not Jared Tootin had gotten into that uh, show was through Tommy. Uh, okay. Pretty sure we had, we had tickets to Tommy. Um, okay. And that, you know, they had all that, uh, like Peter's original drum kit from the Alive yep. tour, they had all that bad, all the old costumes yep. on mannequins and shit. It was, it was pretty. I was it just like, was impressive. Oh, yeah, it was quite impressive um, and, to just kind of walk through, walk through Gene's garage, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. And and then um, so and then the the coolest part was I kept an audio diary because I always said if I was ever mm. going to do a tour, I wanted to document everything. And as you know. Most of the time when you're on the road, it, the, the shows were 12 hours long. So at midnight, we had to tear it all down and drive. So we're driving at three o'clock in the morning. And yeah. when stuff happens, it's not like you can take a handwrite and handwrite a uh, mm -hmm. diary or something. So I kept an audio diary. It's about nine, nine 90 minute uh, things. But I had, I had everybody talking into it and stuff. And at one point, through the tour, they kept changing things and they would do a meet and greet. And there was a couple cities where they actually set up a table and the band sat there and I would sneak in the line because my table was set up right, right by where they were doing it. So I snuck in line and I got Gene to talk on the, on the thing. And I, oh, that's cool. And I have some video footage of me like backstage when the band was they, there was times where they would go on stage and people would just hand their stuff up to get them signed. Sure. And um, they would take a break and step down and I would be on the other side of the backstage and stuff. And, and I, I got some video footage of it, but like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I'm not as big of a kiss fan as you guys. So right. it, well, it was well, cool. At, at, at saying that, that, mu that much, do you remember what song I sang when they handed me the mic in Dallas? Was it who put the X in sex? Hell to the fuck no. I hope not. <laughs> that that was no. one of them. That's that not was even one a, of them. That's, not, that's barely a Kiss song in my book. <laughs> that, that song does not even penetrate my skin to get yeah. to my heart. <laughs> no, it's not that. You can get, you have one more guess. Um, I just remember that was one of the songs that like, 
I would cringe and like run for the opposite well, direction. I'm going to yeah. say God of Thunder. No, it was I Want You. Yeah. I, and, I have and, a video of that. Yeah, of, and of I do too. Doing. Like uh, friend, friends and fans who were there who had yeah. video, uh, video cameras on them. They yeah. all turned the camera towards me when they heard me singing and they videotaped yeah. it. I think it's all on, I think it's on YouTube actually. Is it? Yeah. I think, um, you can, I think you can look it up on YouTube. I'm, I'm putting uh, together a website that where you can click on certain things and there'll be audio or, or stories or whatever. And that is my goal is one day a, to digitize the link, that. Or, the, the links will be fact checker. <laughs> the links can uh, check your facts as far as your storyline. That's actually uh, a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> because there's enough like public, publicly published footage that's from home video type of right. thing, right? That right. people own the rights to that are still flying on YouTube that are, you know, going on decades old now that would probably right. work. Right. That's, a, that's cool. That's a good idea. But, um, but anyway, you know, I went through the whole tour and it was a blast. I like, I really, really had a good time. And then, like I said, the last show was on my birthday in Pittsburgh and, uh, that was the last show of the tour. And I, I enjoyed and appreciated every minute of it. And then when it was all said and done, well, the, the night before we were in New York City and they passed out these um, tickets and they said, we're going to do an MTV Unplugged in about a month from now. And they said, and they handed me a, a ticket and um, it turns out, I would, you know, they, you didn't have a choice where you sat. And uh, I walked in and they said, we're going to put you over here in the front row. And yeah. the funny thing is, is if you watch it, I'm yawning because I was so tired and burnt out and I'm <laughs> yawning and everybody's going nuts when Peter, Chris and Ace Freely walk out. And you're taking a nap. You're and drooling like, on uh, yourself. And, uh, yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, but, uh, you know, I kind of felt bad because there's like all these diehards in there and they just went berserk. No, and, man. You, and you had and just I was been, sitting there yawning. <laughs> you had just been on tour with them. You were, yeah. you had seen that same, you had seen the same set for, you know, 30 well, times. Well, you know, nobody, I wasn't expecting Gene and there was no word that Gene and, I mean, um, Ace, Peter Ace and, and Peter. Ace were going right. to come out. And uh, so it, it was exciting. I, I'm not, yeah. I'm joking about, you know, because like I said, I did grow up, you know, enjoying Kiss's music and stuff, but. I don't know. Let's face it. After animalized, I lost interest in them. Well, you're you're not alone. You're not alone there. And then and then the funny thing is, is I know people who like from lick it up on. That's what they love. Yeah. They love hot in the shade and shit. They have hot yeah. hot in the shade on gold vinyl that they listen yeah. to every once a week. And it's like, and what I, are you I think listening uh, to? I, I think they're the, like, I thought you were a Kiss fan. I go, that ain't my Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned uh, you know. Earlier in the show, you mentioned that Rush was your first concert, and and obviously, you know, when the when the bug bit you, it bit you hard. What was the first album that got you interested in rock and roll? Actually, I have a really uh, there there is no first album or first song. I, I like I said at the beginning, I had a transistor radio when I was a little 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 kid. And I'd they'd say go to bed, and I'd stick it in my pillow, and and I just you know it was just that music, just like music in general, just you know it was probably back then it was probably Bob Seger and Elton and stuff, you know. Nice. But but um, you know then there was the Kiss phase and everything. But then one time I went to church camp, and 
uh, you know, the younger kids. The, the, the story real, just the, got really good. The toddlers, okay, the toddlers were all in one cabin. The next, you know, age group of, of boys were in one cabin and the girls were in another. So this kid says, I got the eight tracks. Who's got the player? And everybody's like, what do you mean? You know, who didn't, we didn't bring the, you know, the eight track player. And, and uh, the one kid says, hold on, I'll be right back. So I don't know if you remember when we were little, they had those little robots. You stuck the instructional eight track in its belly and they had little buttons on its chest and, yeah. and then it would say, what's one plus one, you know, push two. If, it, yeah. if it's, you know, you push the button and then their little red eyes blinked and stuff, you know, while they were asking you these questions, well, the little toddler group had one of those. So the one kid goes, I'll be right back. And he runs down to the toddler room, steals the, I think it was called two XL back then. So he takes, takes it and brings it over. And the first eight track he puts in British steel. Oh. And, and all I can remember is cause it was still daylight. And then as the CDs or the, as the, you know, the music's going, it's getting darker and darker. And by the time it was pitch dark, United, this light's just blinking these red eyes. And I'm like looking at going and, I, and I'm hearing, you know, British still for the first time ever. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, yes. and then they put in uh, Pink Floyd, the wall. And I'm like going, I never heard of such a thing, you know? And I'm like, Oh, when's the next church camp? I can't wait to go to church camp. <laughs> it's like, you know, turned into, so, turned into to heavy metal, turned into metal church camp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. So then, then when I came home from church, I, or from the camp, um, I went to my next door neighbors and I said, dudes, I'm like, there was this band, Judas Priest, man. I'm going to go to the record store as soon as we, you know, as soon as mom takes me to the mall and drops me off, I'm going straight to the record store. I'm buying every one of those Judas Priest albums. And I did. I bought every one of them. And, yes. I, and I sat there and rocked every, every this one might of them. Be, and, this might be the best how, how'd you get hooked on yeah. talk, in Talk Louder history. Oh, uh, yeah. Church camp on an eight track. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, but, but I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't even, uh, I love the music, but it was when it was just getting dark and those little eyes were, those red eyes were blinking at you. Like, the metal listen God. to me, I'm yes. sucking you in, yes. breaking the law, breaking the law. And I was like, fuck you. Oh, Found that's it. so yeah. good. Like, and, uh, so, good. so like, you know, from then I was like, kiss who, you know, Judas Priest, wow. this like. Wow. And and then um, I, I did go to a concert before the rush um, back in the 70s. There was a band called Left End and they were a local mm -hmm. band, but they were on um, Polydor Records. Mm -hmm. And basically they some people would say they were a Alice wannabe band. Um, their their music was very like Thin Lizzy type rock. And but the singer was not his name was uh, Dennis Domenis. And he he actually became a really good friend of mine. He recently passed about 10 years ago. Mm. Um, great guy. But he would go on stage and he'd start drinking wine first song. And he would probably go through a dozen bottles of wine. By the end of the show, the first the first concert I went to was at this uh, amusement park. Every year they had what they called a spring fling. And the the um, it was the first night that it the first day that the in the spring that this place opened and they would have a big concert. And um, 
the the time I went was with Left End, and at the end of the show, Dennis come out uh, for the encore, and he was like almost butt naked. He was in his, you know, underwear, and he's like, uh, "Screw you guys! I'm back here getting laid. I'm drinking and I'm having fun. I don't want to play anymore." And everybody oh. went nuts. And he he went back and changed into his clothes, came back out. And like I was, I said, man, this rock and roll thing is is for me. It's like I I can't wait to go to another concert. And and uh, you know I, I've been pretty fortunate to seen a lot of really great shows. Saw the Pink Floyd at the Houston Astrodome uh, before the big breakup and stuff. And what tour was that? I don't remember. It was 83, 84, 85, mm-hmm. somewhere on there. What about uh, the Rush show that you saw? What tour was that? Rush was Signals. Oh, okay. Uh, that was my, it was like 82, 81 mm-hmm. or 82. Yeah. And um, Gary Moore opened up. Oh, that's and, uh, cool. But I missed him and I came in and I oh, sat well. down at my seat. I sat down at my seat and we had pretty decent seats, but, you know, it wasn't the, it wasn't front row, but um, soon as the lights went out and they that first chord of um, Spirit of Radio came on and like, you know, you always love the music. And like I said, at one time you're listening to a transistor radio through your pillow. Next minute you're listening to headphones, those big gaudy audio ones, like something like the ones you got. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and when you get your first car, you got a decent stereo, but not a great stereo. And it's your, your, your sounds cracking and stuff. And you're like, I really, I like, I just wish I had a stereo that rocks like I want to rock. And then you went to the first concert. And like I said, as soon as those lights went out and that first chord of uh spirit of radio came on, I jumped a thousand feet in the air and I'm still up there. It's nice. like, I, I love, I, I was like, Cause it was like the lights just, you know, the lights were so awesome and it was loud. Like you want to rock, you know? Yeah. And like all my life, I, it never mattered to me whether my stereo was the loudest or whatever. Now you and I know crazy Dan, mm-hmm. crazy Dan was, was one of my best friends. He still is um, crazy. Dan eats, sleep, drink and live for rock and roll but he had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. And um, I spent many, many days with him over, over our lifetime together. And he, he was, he, he was generally a great person. And when he was drunk, he would go around and high five every single person in the, in the bar or wherever you're at. And, and he, he was a lovable drunk, but sometimes he just crossed the, you know, crossed the thing. But Crazy Dan always was one to, he had to have the loudest stereo. Like, no matter what, his home stereo rocked. Like, you could hear it miles and miles and miles down the road. And at one point, we decided, you know, you said about uh, thankless job and stuff. And, you know, unfortunately, making flyers, you you need money. And, you know, if you're going to put out a magazine, you need money. Yeah, I, and, I wouldn't know anything about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what I did was I would have um, different ways, you know, the merchandising and stuff, and whatever ways that I could um, come up with cash to pay for it. And at the time with the magazine, you get hundreds and hundreds of CDs. There's no way you can sit there and listen to every single one as much as you would love to. 
and I would put everything in a box. I would handpick which ones I thought I might enjoy. And then um, once a month, I would go over Crazy Dan's house and we'd invite a bunch of music lovers over. We'd order a bunch of pizza, a couple kegs of beer, and Crazy had, you know, six, six disc changer. And we, it, we would tell people, okay, go ahead and go through these CDs. And if you see anything that strikes your fancy, give us three bucks, whatever, you know. Um, so if you want to listen to it, we'll just throw it in the disc changer. And, you know, so there's like probably 25, 30 people all at Crazy's Dan's place. And he's got it cranked out. Like we're all like in that Energizer thing where we're, we're plastered to the back of the thing. Mm-hmm. But it was so cool. It was like, uh, you know, everybody looked forward to going to the Paul Unger listening party and, and they, and they discovered music and bands that they never even knew existed. And, and that was my goal with the magazine too. I didn't, it wasn't about whether I said it sucked or whether I said it was great. Everybody had their own opinion of all the different things. And, and, you know, whatever, whatever music touches your soul, you know, is that's the most important thing is just finding it. You know, that's a great, that's a great little one liner you just said. And I, I think that, that we can probably start to wrap it up at that moment because, you know, a lot of the stories that you've told us today and a lot of the emotional, like, very direct um you know your quotes today uh you know are are a reason why you you know i'll say it again full circle you wondered why we invited you to come hang out with us today and i think that you have proven your own uh you've answered your own question um by just telling us a few stories and and how you ended up wherever you ended up uh in in the scene at the at the concert in the front row at crazy dan's listening party in ryan's uh horror show parking lot yeah. uh yeah selling merchandise for other people being a broker falling of rock asleep and roll. kiss unplugged yeah <laughs> yawning in the front row <laughs> yeah. watch, watch some of those youtube videos you, you'll see me <laughs> Oh, I, I, I have the, I have, I think I have that on DVD somewhere. I do, yeah. I, yeah. I do have it on DVD. Yeah. I wasn't in the very front row. I was in the front row on the side oh, okay. of the stage, like right. on, okay. uh, on, yeah. um, air, I'm going uh, to have to rewatch uh, it just for that. What's, what's his name? Eric Singer's, uh, side. I was like right there on the, the front row on the, yeah. Um, but actually I do have another story if you want, um, about Alice's, uh, Renfield, yeah, Alice's a uh, long time. Give, give us one more, one more. Okay. So, um, Eric Singer was in, in, uh, Alice Cooper's band. Yeah, of course. And, um, the one time I was in California and, um, and I was walking down Sunset Strip and I was actually wearing a New York loose shirt for you know bridget west band Mm -hmm. and um i'm walking down the street and eric singer is walking towards me with some guy and he's like hey paul what's up and and the the guy that was with them he says um so that's a very cool shirt you got on and i said you know i said yeah you know you're you're a fan of new york loose and he's like i love new york loose he's like they're you know 
I just love New York loose. And, and I and we started talking and I said, well, you know, he said, well, what's your name? And I said, Paul Unger. He goes, Oh, I know you. Cause he, he always, he was like you. He always corresponded with all the Alice fans. He, he absolutely loved, um, you know, if you were a sick thing, fan club member, he knew who you were and he would look you up at the shows and stuff. He was, I just never met him in person. I, I knew who he was. He knew who I was mm-hmm. and he knew uh, all the shows I was at, but he never really realized, you know, so we started chatting. I said, I'm Paul Unger. He's like, yeah. He goes, I know who you are. I go, what's your name? He goes, Brian Nelson. I go, Renfield. He's like, yeah. So I was, uh, I went to go see New York loose. Um, they, they were on Hollywood records. And at that time, Alice was supposed to be signing on Hollywood. And I had heard this through the grapevine. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to contact Hollywood and get in the door. Cause at the time I wanted to do an all Alice issue of the magazine. And they said, uh, so the, I got this lady and she was the nicest person. She goes, listen, you know, he hasn't technically signed with Hollywood yet, but when he does, I will hook you up. Only if you hook me up with some of my bands I'm working now. Well, New York Loose was one of them. So the one day she calls me and she says, hey, listen, I need you to go to this concert tomorrow night. I'll overnight you a package and stuff, and I need you to go, and I want you to help pass out flyers and stickers and all this stuff. Sure, no problem. Who am I going to go see? New York Loose. I was like, oh, okay. So next day she gives me, sends me this package and I get the CD and I'm listening to it on the way. And I'm like, I really love this music. So I get there and I'm all excited. And I run into the band members minus Bridget at the bar next door. And we're sitting there drinking and having a good old time. And, and I told them, I said, Hey, I'm here. I'm look, I got your flyers and you know posters and or, uh, stickers and stuff. And he was like, Oh, that's really cool. And so, um, here it turns out they're opening up for Marilyn Manson on right. the on the um Antichrist or whatever mm-hmm. the, the and it was like one of the first shows of the tour so it was like you know they had it, the the hype hadn't hit yet because right. they kept it top secret and stuff so there's like all these you know all these goth people spooky walking kids. around spooky yeah. kids mm-hmm. and I'm trying to hand them flyers to New York loose and stuff. And it, it was, it was a bit crazy, but then uh, shortly after that, they went on tour with um, L seven and they came to Pittsburgh and I went to Pittsburgh and to see them. And I met Bridget and we started talking and I said, Hey, look, I got this network and everything. And I do these mailers and I gave her a copy of the magazine and stuff. And she's like, well, you know, you got to work for us. Like we, you know, we would be honored, you know? And she goes, I'm going to put you in touch with this guy that works for us. And I said, okay. And she's writing down the address and I knew the address and I knew it. I was like, wait a minute. I know this address. And she goes, it's Brian Nelson. I said, Renfield. And she goes, yes. I go, how the hell you got Renfield running your fan club? And she goes, oh, I love Renfield. And he, and, and so it was like sort of really cool that, you know, I, like I knew Renfield through Alice, but he and I became friends through New York Blues. And yeah, Bridget. he was he was around, um, you know, he was still around during Operation Rock and Roll. And, and yep. I, I would sometimes see him in the production office or just walking around with Alice or, yeah. you know, he was always working on something. 
if I was yeah. in a green room or in catering or something, I would see him. And I, I don't recall ever like meeting him, you know, shaking his hand, but yeah. he was always there and was always working on something. And he was super He, he was one of those genuinely good person people. Yep. And he, he too loved the music. Yeah. He, uh, but I really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, I didn't even I, get to tell a dangerous toy story. Well, uh, you, you told one. You, uh, no, you, no, no. I have uh, a really good one. It was the disaster's uh, interview question. Yeah. <laughs> you got answered 35 okay, years well, later. Well, now you've, now you've lit the fires. Tell us this. Make it, make it a good, make it a good one. Okay. So one day I go to actually it might've been the same night as the interview, but after the show, I told you, I said, I'm going to this music convention in California and I'm going to make up a flyer and I'm going to pass it out and I'm going to put it in my portfolio. And then about a week later or about a month later, I get a phone call from Mr. McMaster. And he says, dude, I, I ran into, I know some people that were there and they got your portfolio. And I think it's badass that you, that you uh, had my flyer in there. And I think to ever since then, you know, I think you, you and I's friendship has gotten stronger because of it. Wow. And so, I, I held up my. I've been calling you know, it a thankless job, and I call. I made a point to call you and thank you. Yes, yes, you did. So now you're on my podcast, our me and Dave's podcast, yeah. the Talk Louder podcast, and I am thanking you again. Well, yeah. there's no. You want to thank me? Let's get a new toys album out. Uh, <laughs> and okay. and a tour. This conversation have will self destruct and, and, and a tour. <laughs> <laughs> Not just an album out. We want a tour too. Well, there has to be. You have to come to Pittsburgh and yeah, Niles, I was going to say, I know a promoter in Pittsburgh, dude. You got to put a carrot on a stick. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know how you work. It, it's that. Well, it's one time. Call. One time you said, "Hey, man, um, you know, two grand will get me. You get you the toys and and the thing." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to save up. I'm going to save up." That's cheap. And then, and then, 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 like, I finally save up. I got the two grand, and then you're like, "Oh, it's up to four grand now." And plus, we we don't want to stay at no Motel Six. We have to stay at the fancy hotel. And, Dude, that just sounds like, like inflation to me. That doesn't yeah. sound like we don't want to. We don't want to. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, I I I really. Uh, appreciate how your initial introduction to rock and roll turned into such a fiery passion and yes. it obviously continues to this day um i mean wow would you, would you call a, it an addiction would i i'm not a doctor but i'd say it's pretty close yeah i mean that's I, I what think, i call it to I, me it's i a, think rock passion. and roll i think rock and roll is very special and i i i truly wish that it was as special now as it was then because right. I do think that it has declined. And, um, you know, I my wife works in the school system and she says that the kids today, you know, want to be YouTubers or something. And, right. you know, they they don't want to work for a living and stuff. And I right. remember when we grew up, we wanted to rock. That's, yeah. you know. Well, and it and, takes work. You have to work at it. You have right. to promote yourself. You have to, like, not eat lunch so you can right. print flyers. Right. You have to save your lunch money to buy records. You have to save your lunch money. And and some people don't get allowances. I had I didn't get allowances growing right. up. 
So yeah. I had to, that, I would get lunch money. So I wouldn't eat lunch so yeah. I could buy a record on the Saturday after. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was mowing grass. And All that and shit. Shoveling, well, you guys wouldn't be shoveling snow, but we had, uh, no, believe it or not, uh, believe Dirt. it or not, six <laughs> inches of snow like three days ago we had here. What? Wow. Six inches. So I was like, we got to do the podcast out here. It's beautiful out today. Yeah. You're, you're winning today, Paul. Uh, yeah. I love you, Paul. Thank Likewise. you. Thank you for and everything you that you've us. ever done for rock and roll. Not just me or, or be just. Well, even it starts with the music you, first. Yeah. It starts with the music first. So you, you provided us with the tunes and, and then it's the, it's the people that have, you know, bonded with your music that's made it, you know, uh, incites everybody else to do, do their part. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Paul, Amen. thanks for being with us today. It was Likewise. having you on the podcast. Thank you. Um, on behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our special guest today, Mr. Paul Unger on the Talk Louder podcast. Dream evil, guys.